Have you ever heard of BTK, the Carr Brothers Massacre, the Clutter Family, or the Poet? These are just a few well-known crimes in Kansas, but there are so many more that have been forgotten. Like my friend and neighbor, Krista Martin, who was murdered on October 1st of 1989, and so many more cases that are still sitting on the shelves waiting to be solved. Hopefully, with your help, we will be able to find the answers to these cases. Join us again at Crime Scene and Cupcakes on your streaming devices, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you might listen. Welcome back to the True Crime B&B. This is Beth. And this is Bailey. And today's week, we'll be a week. Welcome, 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 51. <laughs> it's week 51. God, we're out of practice. We haven't gotten into the champagne yet, we swear. No, but yeah, because we're recording on New Year's Eve. That's how dedicated we are to y'all, okay? That's how we love you guys. Even mm-hmm. on our holiday nights, here we are, thinking of you. Okay, so I'm going first this week, right? Yes. I'm going to tell you about the lore behind a place called Duffy's Cut. Okay, I've never heard of Duffy's Cut. Where is this? This is in Pennsylvania. It's 30 miles west of Philadelphia. Okay. Duffy's Cut is located in a town called Malvern, Pennsylvania, which, as I told you, is 30 miles west of Philadelphia. Okay. Back in the 1800s, as people began traveling further and further west, the need for a Pennsylvania railway from the port in Philadelphia out to Ohio and all those western states became pretty apparent. So they decided, we're going to get together, divvy up every mile, and every mile will sell off to a contractor, and they can hire their own team to come out and build that mile of railway. Okay. So, in 1826, they laid out the plans, they started selling out the miles to these contractors, and by 1832, most of the railroad had been completed. However, there was some difficulty, specifically with mile 59 of the track, which is now called Duffy's Cut because it was owned by a contractor named Philip Duffy. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay, Okay. yeah. (sighs) So that's the politics about railroads. Um. (laughs) So so Duffy did a bad job on his mile? Well, the problem was, it sounds like that mile is really rough terrain. It's through a deep valley that also had water into it, so they had to somehow divert that water and dam it into a a different direction. Damn it! (laughs) Damn it! (laughs) Yeah, so they had to, like, figure out all these things that nowadays we have heavy machinery for, but in 1832, they did not. So he was really struggling to find people that were willing to come in and do it on the wages that he could offer. Right. Okay. That's why he was last. Yeah, so this wasn't an easy job. It was definitely very dangerous and very hard labor. Not to mention, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's not really in a town, at least in 1832, it wasn't. Yeah. So these guys are out in the summer heat all day, and then all they have is, like, little shanty town to go live in at right. the end of the day. What Duffy decided to do was he was actually an Irish immigrant himself. He had come over. Duffy? After, yeah, Philip Duffy. I don't know how he thought he could pretend he wasn't Irish, because he did this whole time. He but, pretended he wasn't Irish? Yeah, so well, he... Well, they were treated pretty badly. Yeah, Irish Catholics at this time in the U.S. were, like, the bottom yeah, rung they were really mistreated. Social. Yeah, so he kind of came over, got money, and then 
which is so funny to me. All these people are like, we hate immigrants. I'm like, you guys got here like 50 years ago. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so he decided what he was going to do is go out to Philadelphia, and they had, at this time, a lot of people coming in who were immigrants looking for work so that they could have a base in America, get some money, send it back to their wives, children, stuff, and send them over to America as well. Right. So Philip went down, hired a bunch of these Irish men at the docks, and then brought them back to Duffy's Cut. He hired a total of 57 men for that mile, and their average age was 22 years old. Okay. And there were some rumors that there were two women as well, but I'm that's not really confirmed. The laborers arrived June 23rd, 1832, but in May of 1832, a huge cholera outbreak epidemic just rocked all of North America. Right. They thought that these immigrants were bringing it in, but actually what was happening was it was coming from Canada down Hudson River and through the water sources into America. So actually, the Canadians were the problem, not the Irish guys. <laughs> Darn those guys. With this cholera outbreak, people were really scared of these immigrants coming in, so they basically quarantined them the second they got to this cut of land they said well there's your town you're not allowed to come anywhere around anything else though so stay there all we knew is that that happened they quarantined them and then two and a half weeks later duffy returns back to the port needs to hire more men and says all 57 of my workers died of cholera oh wow which is i guess possible like an outbreak happened and they're all stuck in these little tents there's nowhere to get away from each other yeah and so everybody just believed them and that was fine and that was basically the town lore for the next century and a half now what's the name of this town again malvern i believe okay when he had returned back to civilization philip duffy told them yeah they all died and i didn't go ask anybody else for a second opinion about, hey, these guys are all dead. I just went ahead by myself and buried all 57 of them in a mass grave. <laughs> never alerted anybody. These people had families. Their relatives never heard from them again. They came all the way over here from Ireland. Yeah. They got off the boat, and then they instantly died of cholera. Two and a half weeks later, yeah. But <clears> considering <throat> this is a true crime podcast, I don't know if I believe that they all died of cholera. Philip Duffy, you little rascal. Since the fateful events in 1832, the railroad was completed and is still one of the most popular railways through Pennsylvania, so it's still used today. And the story of the 57 fallen Irishmen buried somewhere in an unmarked mass grave is just the local ghost story. They would say, oh, if you go out at nighttime to the railroad in the woods, then you'll see them walking. Flash forward, in 2002, a history professor at the college there in Malvern named Dr. William Watson, who had grown up in this town and heard these stories passed down from his grandfather and his grandfather and his, gra- his whole life, yeah. he decided to look into the validity of this mass grave somewhere and see if he could find any proof that that really had happened there. He went ahead and got his brother's help, who was also a historian, and their grandfather was a historian, too. I no guess. wonder he was so interested in this. He'd probably been hearing this mm-hmm. from his grandfather's historical point of view. And I'm sure every family, the story differed just a little bit, you know? Like, yeah, probably so, so. he wants to know what really happened. Yeah. Well, now I want to know what really happened. Mm-hmm. They decided, okay, well, Grandpa was the one who always told us these stories, so he passed away back in, like, the 70s, but he gave all of his belongings over to the kids. 
they had never gone through his files until 2002, and they decided to go through it and see if there was any information that they could find about the railway and this mass grave. Okay. And they did find it, not just from their grandfather documenting things that he had found, but they found letters from people that worked on the railroad itself, like people from 1832, people from 1870, and like people in the town next door. Oh, but I heard this, and this doesn't make sense, and just documenting all this evidence so that someday... They could compile it all and find the truth of what Philip did. Okay. One thing that stuck out to Watson was when they read the accounts of the cholera outbreak of 32, the worst day recorded for Philadelphia was recorded to have 176 new cases that day. And of those 176 cases, 71 of those people ended up dying from cholera. Right. So 100% rate is pretty high. Mm-hmm. That's what I wrote. Yeah, which is a lot, but it's important to note that puts the mortality rate on the worst day at 40%. Right. So even if all of these 57 men slash women got cholera, not one of them survived? Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if the people in Philadelphia were receiving medical care, I don't think that the doctors could do that much for them anyway. Mm-hmm. At that time. They had no idea what was even going on. They were, like, doing bloodletting and stuff, trying to figure out what this disease was. So yeah. I don't think they had much better of a chance. Yeah. With this new statistic in mind, Dr. Watson and his team hired on archaeologists, anthropologists, geophysicists, and a forensic dentist and made the decision to go uncover the mass grave, learn the truth once and for all. So in 2004, they started planning out the dig and where they were going to start trying. So from all this documentation that they found, they had a pretty good idea of where it was going to be located? No, but the geophysicist that they had on the team, he had a lot of sonar technology. So they went through and just started, yeah, like looking through the ground and seeing if there's anything of note. First thing they found was a clay pipe with etchings from Derry, Ireland on it. So they're like, okay, well, Irishmen were definitely here at some point. We're on the right track. Unfortunately, with so much land to cover in this one mile of railroad, they have no idea if it's under the railroad. They don't know if it's a little bit away so that they wouldn't blame it on Philip or what. It actually went cold. They just kept digging for the next five years and found nothing else of note. Okay. However, in 2009, they stumbled upon what they had been desperate to find this whole time, the skeletal remains of seven of the men. Okay. And not so shockingly, the skull fragments that they found led them to believe their true cause of death had been blunt force trauma. So a hatchet, they said. Oh, wow. On a lot of them. And one of the skulls also had a close-range bullet hole in the back of it. Wow. So this was literally a fucking massacre, sounds like. It sounds that way. So, wow. They kind of don't really know what to make of that, because like I said, they only found seven of the bodies. (laughs) So maybe some of them didn't get cholera and die, but the seven that they found, it's possible these were the men that tried to escape, and then somehow... Whether it be Philip or somebody from town, people who hated the Irish Catholics coming into America, murdered them, as picked them off one by one as they came in, and then just buried them together in this grave. Hmm. But maybe the other 50 did die of cholera? It's possible, yeah. Then I would think there would still be another big grave. Oh, there is. They're still looking up. Okay. However, this is incredible. So of the seven bodies, in 2011, the forensic dentist on the team, Dr. Matt Patterson, noticed a dental anomaly with one of the skulls, and using DNA from genetic genealogy from Ireland, he was able to find the family 
of one of the guys. He couldn't find all of them, just one of them, because he had the anomaly that was really rare. Yeah. But he identified him as John Ruddy, who was only 18 at the time of his death. Aw. Isn't that fucked up? But his family, you know, he got on the boat, he went to America, and he just never... Yeah. They never heard what happened to him. Mm -hmm. His poor mom is just like... Yeah. That's so sad. But... The good news about that is John Ruddy was returned back to his hometown in Ireland and buried there. Aww. And the other six men have also been reburied properly in Pennsylvania. As for the other 50 bodies, they are still trying to locate them. They uh, think they've found it on a stretch under the railroad itself, but that is still in use. So they're trying to get the permits and permission from the cities and everybody involved, and that hasn't been approved yet. However, I thought this was kind of cute. The team hired, this is just random, but they hired a contractor to come in and start planning out the dig for when it gets approved. And this guy is an Irish guy named Joe DeVoy. And there's a quote from one of the historians working on it. And he said, it is ironic that an Irish contractor will be digging up bodies buried by an Irish contractor to begin with. Like, it's yeah, just, well, dig up Irish bodies. I know, it's his that own were people. buried by... Yeah, that's wild. Isn't that fucking crazy? But it's just weird after, from 1832, and we have the technology to sit here and be like, oh, we tracked them down. We can tell you how they died. We can tell you what boat they got off of. Mm-hmm. It's just... Wow. Thank God for the historians through history who kept track of everything, you know? Wow. So Duffy's Cut. I had never heard Duffy's of Duffy's Cut, Cut before. Mm-hmm. And so in that little town, they have all these supposed hauntings and and lore and things like that Mm -hmm. did they use it as part of their a touristy thing no they actually one of the people who had been documenting throughout the years he ended up i think he died in like 1960 but he was like the president of the railroad company and he had actually put this little stone monument to honor the because he didn't know where the grave was but he knew it was there somewhere so he put that as like a honorary grave marker for those men and the city wouldn't even let him put a plaque on there stating that that's what that was because they didn't want anybody to know that had happened there i mean that honorary grave is still there and i think a lot of people that on that train that pass it every day don't even know that's what that is they probably don't so if you live in philadelphia and you see it look it up the duffy's cut grave marker Mm -hmm. and you can see what it looks like and you might even recognize it if you want to know more about this or even donate to the project, this is expensive. It's not cheap material to work with. You can go to duffyscutproject.com and it's spelled D-U-F-F-Y-S-C-U-T project.com. That's the grave marker beside the train track. You would never... It's okay. random. It looks kind of cool, though. You just think it was like a bench or something. Yeah. Or ruins. Yeah, we'll have to post that on Instagram so people can see it. Yeah. And it's right next to the train track? Yeah, it's, you literally pass it. Okay. Interesting. You ha- you'd have to know which side of the train track it's on, though. The north side or the south side. Well, that's just two train rides. Just look out this side one time and then this side the other time. <laughs> and then you'll know. <laughs> Easy. Okay. Well, that was an interesting story. Okay. I know we've had kind of a lot of Georgia stories lately, but I have another Atlanta story. Okay. Valerie Casper lives in the Brookhaven area of Atlanta, Georgia. Brookhaven is south of Dunwoody, just inside the perimeter. As we say here, inside the perimeter means inside the outer belt of the city. And in the Atlanta area, they say ITP. Mm -hmm. If you're outside the perimeter, it's OTP. Both she and her long-term partner, Steve Barkdahl, are school teachers. 
In June 2021, they already had a three-year-old son named Benjamin, and Valerie was five months pregnant with their second child. Steve called Valerie the strongest woman he'd ever met and said she is so full of love that she's a shining light in the lives of everyone who knows her. I mean, you could just tell this guy adores this woman. School had just gotten out for the summer, and Valerie and Benjamin were excited to spend the summer together. The previous summer, he had only been two years old, and so now that he's three, they could do a lot more things than they could do the previous years. That's true. Babies, when they're really young, it's like, you just have to stare at each other. There's nothing you can do (laughs) play with. And feed them stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On June 5th, 2021, Valerie and Benjamin decided they were going to celebrate their first day of summer break by taking a walk on a popular walking trail called the Peachtree Creek Greenway in Brookhaven. See, I feel like that sounds familiar, but that's just because Peachtree is everywhere in Atlanta. Yeah, everything here is called Peachtree something. And sometimes it's just Peachtree. We get it, guys. We like peaches. There's a lot of peach trees. I have in. never picked a peach off a tree I've never since I've lived in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. I mean, I bought a can of peaches once, but I don't think they came from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> As they walked, only feet away from their car, enjoying the weather and the trees, a stranger approached them, running up from behind. He attempted to start a conversation with Valerie, who politely declined. She doesn't want to teach her son to be talking to strangers, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she and Benjamin continued on their way. They started to walk towards their car. I think they were getting done with their walk and they were getting ready to go home. And suddenly, Valerie felt a sharp pain in her back. The man had pulled out a pocket knife and had run up behind them again, stabbing Valerie in the back. Little Benjamin could only stand aside and watch in horror as this stranger attacked his mother. Valerie was stabbed over and over in her back and in her arm. The knife went into Valerie's body four times. Benjamin was fortunately not injured. Several others rushed over to help, trying to keep her and Benjamin calm and calling 911. Oh, so there were witnesses. People saw this happen. Oh, there were people there, yeah. Wow, okay. She was rushed to the hospital where doctors repaired the damage from the stab wounds. From the four deep wounds that she received, it was determined that Valerie's liver needed to be repaired, but it was fixable. Mm -hmm. And her colon had to be repaired, but it was fixable. He had missed her lungs, he had missed her heart, and none of her organs needed to be removed. She said to Fox 5 News, somehow you can get stabbed four times and it misses everything. Yeah. But none of the surgeries were going to help her unborn child, who was now at risk for lack of oxygen and who may have potentially been injured. I forgot she was pregnant. Damn. Yeah, five months. Okay. Five months. She had a pretty big belly in the pictures I saw. Mm-hmm. Because her body was under so much stress, she had lost a lot of blood and because there was damage throughout her torso... It was necessary to perform an emergency cesarean section to save the baby. Mm -hmm. But upon the C-section being performed and the baby being born and examined, he had not been stabbed. In fact, the womb itself had not even been injured. Wow, I didn't know they could do C-sections five months. Well, it was super premature. In fact, that's the next sentence I have. okay. Baby Theodore was not injured at all, even though his birth was four months premature. He was born at only 25 weeks. I didn't even know they were viable, honestly, at five months. Well, I think he was very close to not being viable. Probably a lot of... When you hear all the problems that he had, you'll know that he was a lucky baby to have survived. Because babies born so premature have not developed enough to fully survive without health issues... His lungs were not developed. He didn't have any sucking reflex. He was at risk for infections. He was at great risk for sudden infant death syndrome, as well as a lot of other problems. Mm -hmm. He was immediately taken to the neonatal intensive care unit where he would remain until he was stable enough to go home with his family. 
At his birth, he was larger than expected for a child of only five months gestation, so that gave him a little head start on his recovery. Mm-hmm. Within a week, he was already starting to get stronger. He was active. He was always throwing an arm or a leg out of his swaddling. He was trying to grab at things. But like all premature infants, he had a lot of ups and downs, and so he needed that extra care and monitoring to help him reach a more viable and healthy weight and to make sure his development went forward as it should have. Obviously, it's a lot harder Mm -hmm. for him to develop out of the womb than he does in that perfect development environment. Yeah. So they had to make sure that his heart was beating rhythmically, that he was getting enough oxygen, Valerie herself was in the hospital for a week and went through physical therapy trying to not only heal but to get back the motion, the range of motion. There was a lot of muscles that were injured and things like that. She was unlucky to have been stabbed, but she was lucky that it didn't hit anything that was critical. Yeah, but those muscle injuries, even like sitting up, if you're laying down on the couch, just sitting up would be so excruciating. Yeah. Everything, I'm sure, was excruciating. Mm -hmm. Brookhaven police started their investigation by checking the Greenway security cameras and found video of the attack from which they grabbed images of the attacker. Several photos were released to the public through the media with the police asking for assistance in identifying this unknown man because he had just run off after he stabbed her. Several tips were called in, providing leads which gave police a partial name for the suspect. Investigators shared what information they had with several other police departments, and ultimately the Chambly Police Department was able to identify the man as Christopher Jones. An arrest warrant was written for Christopher Jones, who was initially charged with aggravated assault, aggravated battery, and cruelty to children. Through cooperation with the DeKalb County Police and Atlanta Police, it was determined that Jones was homeless at this time, and sometimes he would stay in the MARTA train stations for shelter. He was located in the vicinity of the Arts Center MARTA station, and I believe that's the red train, and he was arrested without incident within five days of the attack. So even though at first nobody had any idea who he was, they did find him pretty quickly. Well, especially considering he doesn't technically have an address to go pull up to, you know? Yeah, Hmm. but he was known to all of the police departments. Hmm. He was denied bail. He had been arrested more than a dozen times before the attack on Valerie, had a history of mental health issues. He had been released the previous November on $10,000 bond in a felony theft case just seven months before he attacked Valerie. He had been arrested 12 times in Georgia, in addition to prior arrests in Alabama and as a juvenile in Tennessee. In the hearing prior to his November release, documents had been filed by his public defender that stated Christopher Jones, quote, poses no significant threat of danger to any person, to the community, or to any property in the community and that he poses no significant risk of committing any felony pending trial. Well, that did not turn out to be true. Did not age well. (laughs) That did not age well. Upon being arrested, Christopher Jones confessed, but did not provide any explanation for why he stabbed Valerie. Jones was indicted by a DeKalb County grand jury in August 2021 on the charges of criminal attempt to commit murder, so they upgraded the charges from when he was originally arrested, Mm -hmm. criminal attempt to commit feticide, aggravated assault, and cruelty to children in the first degree. Hmm. Police made a point to share that although this incident was horrific, that it was the only reported incident of its kind that had ever taken place in the Peachtree Creek Greenway. Mm Mm-hmm. They patrol that area on foot, on bicycles, and on electric ATVs, as well as having the surveillance cameras. So, I mean, if they didn't have those cameras, 
then they yeah. would not have been able to catch him. Hey, at least they work, unlike Katie uh, Janess. That's exactly what I was thinking. That episode that we did with Murder on My Street, mm-hmm. the cameras in that area weren't working. So, Valerie was greatly relieved after her attacker was in police custody. And she was afraid before that that he was just out terrorizing pregnant women and their three-year-old children. Yeah. Steve described Valerie's determination to heal and get back home to her family, speaking with total love and admiration. She's just 99 pounds of dynamite, he said, (laughs) about his partner. But she spent the first week in the hospital in a lot of pain, trying to heal, trying to get her movement and strength back. Mm -hmm. Little Theodore, meanwhile, was in the Children's Hospital of Atlanta in the newborn intensive care unit, making progress, gaining some weight. Then he'd lose some weight. He was fed round the clock. He was receiving oxygen. He was being monitored for his breathing and his heart rate. Valerie finally got to hold Theodore at 30 weeks development in what they call kangaroo care, where the baby is held chest to chest and skin to skin with someone, usually a parent. And she was thrilled, and she said she had been craving to hold him ever since the C-section five weeks earlier. Of course. Steve also got to do kangaroo care and spent visits reading to his son and just trying to bond, you know, get him familiar with his voice. Mm -hmm. After Valerie had been discharged and was back at home, the parents had to split their time between being at home with Benjamin and being at the hospital with Theodore, so that was very difficult. It was very stressful. Their sons had not met yet. The baby had to have swallow studies done to determine whether his muscles were actively swallowing rather than just holding the milk in his mouth and maybe trickling down. Yeah. Because he wasn't swallowing successfully yet. He had a feeding tube that provided his nutrition, but Valerie was also nursing him to give him those many benefits of natural nursing as well as the bonding that happens between mother and baby from that. Mm-hmm. He had had some brain bleeds in his cerebellum that caused pressure on his brain. So he had to get a VAD device, which is normally used in the heart. It's a little pump that moves fluid. So they use this, I guess, to move the bleed away from his brain so that his brain wasn't swelling, wasn't getting pressured inside his skull. So he had to get this little device, probably going to be a lifelong thing, they said, Mm -hmm. that he will have to have adjustments made to it or different ones installed, I guess is the right word, implanted. Mm -hmm. But at least he's expected to live a full life. They don't anticipate that he's going to have a shortened lifespan. Mm -hmm. But he's just going to have some of these things are going to follow him his whole life. He was finally released to go home on October 8th, a few weeks after the time when he should have been born. Lots and lots of doctors and nurses and specialists came by. They lined the halls and cheered as they left the hospital to say goodbye. Because this little guy was just Mm -hmm. so loved by everyone. And I'm sure the family was too because... They look like just the happiest, most loving family. Benjamin finally got to meet his baby brother when he was brought home, and Valerie said it was just the sweetest moment. But the first few nights after he was home, only Benjamin got any sleep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, they were probably afraid to go to sleep. You know, with all of the health problems that he had, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they were terrified of what would happen. Valerie's friends created a GoFundMe to cover the medical bills and equipment and specialists and the therapy costs that could have easily bankrupted two teachers. Well, yeah, and that's a lot of ongoing medical issues for the rest of their life. Now that's yeah, not just like a one-time, oh, once you're out of the hospital, start paying it back situation. That's like... Mm. Yeah, this is an ongoing thing that he's going to 
he's going to be going through for the long haul. That's for the long haul, and also I don't know whether Valerie is going to return to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't find any update that said one way or the other if she plans to return to work at some point. But right now, she's just got this baby who needs her there. Of course, yeah. So Theodore had undergone four surgeries. He still had a feeding tube. He was still receiving fortified food every three to four hours. He was given caffeine that helped fight apnea, which, as you know, is when you stop breathing. He was being given vitamins. He was being given medicine to curb acid reflux. He was more likely to experience apnea when his reflux was worse, and so they wanted to make sure that was under control. Plus, it's just damn uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a really painful thing. He was still on the supplemental oxygen. So this little baby still got a feeding tube. He still got oxygen. He's got this heart and breathing monitor that's on him. He had many specialist doctors that became part of the family's routine as they shuttled the family from appointment to appointment. There were two speech pathologists related to his feeding and development of his mouth. Oh, I had never thought about that aspect, but I, yeah, that makes I had, sense. <laughs> I had never thought of it either, but yeah, like you, I'm like, oh, duh. I mean, that makes speech me- therapy is literally just reworking how you move the muscles in your mouth, so. Yeah, that's exactly right. Huh. He had occupational therapist, he had pulmonary specialist, a neurologist, and a normal pediatrician. He sometimes experienced bradycardia, which is a slow resting heart rate, especially when he was having reflux. He continued to wear the monitor that would set off an alarm if he stopped breathing for 20 seconds or if his heart rate dipped below 60 beats per minute. It took two people to change his diapers because he was attached to so many things. To hold this or that or move this out of the way while you clean his bottom. After a few weeks, the family had a nurse come to assist at the house because they were just overwhelmed, and they used their GoFundMe money to pay for that. Valerie and Benjamin went back to walking together, although she would need to take breaks and sometimes needed to ice her back afterwards, and I totally understand that. I mean, you can't get me to walk, and I haven't been stabbed a bunch of times, so I can't. Good for her (laughs) for even getting out there. We never even walked down the street to look at the Christmas lights last week. That's true. We never did. Nope. Benjamin told his dad, remember he's just a little guy, he probably parroted what he heard his dad saying, Mm -hmm. but Benjamin said to his dad that mommy was such a strong girl and a strong mama. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so cute. That's so cute. Valerie and Steve were concerned, though, about lasting emotional issues that Benjamin might have after witnessing this, Mm -hmm. because he had just seen someone stab and attack his mother. She said, I feel like he will remember it, so I think about that all the time. I'm very nervous about it. She said that the attack is going to be an emotional scar for the whole family, forever. But she also said that the family had received love and support from all around the world, which was helping Valerie, Steve, and Benjamin stay positive, and it was helping them to cope. They just felt so embraced. Theodore will have some physical issues that he will have for his entire life, but he's alive, he is loved, And he's a sweet baby. They're a happy family. Valerie knows that she nearly lost her life. She nearly lost her baby's life. And potentially even Benjamin could have lost his life that day. Mm -hmm. But she chooses to look at every day now with gratitude. Valerie's words about the situation are now words of gratitude to the Brookhaven, DeKalb, and Atlanta police who caught the man within days of the attack. And it's been a reminder to her how precious life and love are. She said, quote, It's unbelievable. It makes me feel really grateful for every moment of my life now. So not that I was ungrateful before, but perhaps we take life for granted in moments. For sure. 
And I did check the DeKalb County Judicial Information System, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't appear that Christopher Jones has gone to trial yet on these four charges. Oh, so he hasn't gotten a sentence yet? Yeah, so he, I think he's just still in holding because he was not allowed bond, so he's still in jail awaiting trial. Actually, he might be in prison because, remember, he had been out on bond when he attacked her. So he's probably in prison on the sentence for that. I think he was sentenced to two years for that crime when he ultimately went to trial last year. That makes sense. I'm guessing also that the trial hasn't started yet because they're probably doing mental health evaluations. Yeah, psych evaluations. Yeah, so they probably want to know what his real situation is before this trial happens. Mm -hmm. But if I do hear the outcome of it when it does happen, I will post an update. And so this is just another one of those cases where someone wasn't being treated for mental illness Mm -hmm. or they shouldn't have been released on bond. He shouldn't have been out if he had this many convictions. He's got at least 14 convictions. And I'm just wondering, did he not see that she was pregnant or was that just not even an obstacle to him? That wasn't even like, do you think, thought about? I don't know the answer to that. But But I I guess if she's walking with a three-year-old and that's not enough to, say, make your mind go, hey, don't do this, yeah, then I guess a baby probably wouldn't stop either. I I don't know. I don't Hmm. know. It's just such an unfortunate thing. But I just, I love her attitude. Mm -hmm. I love that she's not taking a bitter attitude about it. Mm -hmm. I love that she and Benjamin are back out walking again. Yeah. That they're just trying to give their sons a happy, good life and I think those little boys are so loved, and they will be—they will always be loved. And I'm just—and it's smart to get them back out there where it happened. Yeah. Just embrace that—that that was a one-off. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's not an everyday occurrence. That's probably never going to happen again. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it was the first day of summer break. Yeah. Dramatic. So that poor little kid. I'm—I'm I'm sure that he has been talking to a child psychologist or oh, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to believe they would know that he would need that. So mm-hmm. so that's my story. Is it bad? Now that you say it was the first day of summer break, I'm thinking, so Theodore was probably around my birthday. It was June 5th. See? And I feel really bad for Theodore because I know what it's like to have an early June birthday. And I never got to bring cupcakes to school for it because everybody was already out for summer break. And I was really upset about it for many, many years. I'm sorry for that trauma, honey. So I think that every year for his birthday, we need to go donate to the GoFundMe. And, and say this is specifically this so is you can get cupcakes. Theodore's cupcakes because he deserves those, goddammit. Did you? You saw them. I don't know if our listeners saw the cupcakes that Marianne from Crime Scenes and Cupcakes made for us. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen those, take a look at her Instagram. She created the most beautiful little cupcakes. I think they were Kahlua cake. And butterscotch. Butterscotch cream filling. Mm -hmm. And then then there's chocolate. She made the little puss. (laughs) (laughs) She made a chocolate puss. She made a little black cat out of chocolate that Mm -hmm. sits on top of each cupcake. And then she's covered them with little star sparkles and... Yeah, and she was so sweet in the explanation behind all it of it. It was really, it was very touching. Yeah, check and it out, guys. So, <laughs> and if you don't already know Marianne from Crime Scenes and Cupcakes, please go check her out, too, because she's pretty awesome. 
So I think that's it, guys. Thank you for being here today. If you would like to send us an email, you can contact us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. If you don't, then we're going to have to start reading out the emails that we get from Sam and Paige. Actually, Sam asked. Did she? (laughs) She asked if we... Well, she didn't ask. She said, I wondered if you were going to read the list of things that she wrote in her email telling us she wanted to be entered into the beanie giveaway. Mm -hmm. She put a list of really hilarious things in her email, and I'm kind of holding on to that for a day when we have two bummers of a story and we need something uplifting at the end. Oh, that's smart. I thought you were going to say that you're holding on to it in case we ever need a blackmailer in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't say we can't use it for both. (laughs) That's true. So, guys, I think we're done, and we will see you next week. Yep. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. I think you... Oh, ah! Fuck. <laughs> Let's get this out of the way. You almost threw blue ball at me. <laughs> if not for throwing, why is ball in the name? <laughs> I don't know. That's a really good question. So slapback. A large Irish man with boobs. <laughs> I'm just saying, they probably had good packs working on the railroad, you know? I can't find the cursor. We're Fuck shit. Bitch. That's me. I'm the cursor. Damn it! <laughs> damn it. I forgot about the damn. School had just gotten out for the summer. That is not the beginning. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to just start my story right in the I, middle. I was up to it, though. I was like, what a way to jump us right in. Okay. It was so immersive. <laughs> Picture it now. <laughs> oh, I could be like Andy. If it's safe for you to do so, close your eyes and picture the scene. <laughs> He's gonna sue us. Peach tree creek. Me the the peach tree creek creek. Oh, <laughs> imported from her. Um, you know, I can't even say. Oh, what well, I don't think you said a single sentence. <laughs> <laughs> You're like. <laughs> I'm just grunting now. <laughs> I was trying to say they probably imported them from Honduras. <laughs> I don't even know if they grow peaches in Honduras. I just that was the first thing that came to mind. Okay, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna move on to the story now. Okay. <laughs>